One of the things that's very distinctive about living the Christian life is that each of us will walk through that valley from time to time. You can virtually guarantee it, can you not? Uh, Some of us uh, walk through valleys for many months or many years. Some of you may be in a season where you find yourself in a valley now. I don't know what you've been going through in recent days. Perhaps there's relational tension in your home. Perhaps there are unresolved relational issues in your place of employment. Um, I know that some of you have lost uh, people that you have loved, whether it's a friend or a family member, and it's deeply painful. Or perhaps some of you are in a valley where you are battling sin. You're battling with a a particular substance. You're battling uh, pornography. You're battling anger. You're battling fear. You're battling uh, bitterness. Or perhaps you're just at a a place where you've, you've reached a fork in the road. And you are at a point when you need to make a, a very uh, serious decision about your life. I know that some of you are in a, a valley that, you, that is marked with serious and prolonged discouragement. Whatever you may be going through, I think we can all agree that there is comfort to be found in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be very encouraged by the love of Jesus. We can find strength in the love of our Savior. Well, John chapter 13 marks the final evening that the Lord Jesus Christ would spend with his disciples just prior to his crucifixion. They would enjoy a meal together, what most would consider to be the Passover meal. And the disciples, as you are well aware, have had an incredible journey with their Lord. They have learned from him. Their faith has been challenged by him. Their sin oftentimes has been exposed by him. And they have experienced in a firsthand way the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as they gather now on the eve of the crucifixion, they will experience the love of Jesus once again in a most direct way. I want to invite you to turn with me uh, to John chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13. We're going to look at a larger section of Scripture than we normally do today in this unit of thought. I want to have you stand with me as we read beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. 
Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Father, thank you for a a challenging and encouraging passage that lies before us today. I ask as the the people of God, read your word as we meditate upon your word and now as we study your word, that you would be glorified in this place, uh, that by your spirit you would prompt uh, many people to action today as we look at a theme of uh, servanthood and leadership that is uh, drawn forth as an example uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would prompt many to action today. Once again, uh, please be glorified in this place. Please do a, a marvelous work by the incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit. We trust you to do great things now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, the title of the message this morning is The Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. Exactly how, how deep is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Precisely what is the depth that the Savior has for each one of us? As we explore the depth of the Lord Jesus Christ for each of you, my prayer today is that as you leave on this very special Mother's Day, that you would leave with a a tremendous boost of encouragement, that you would have fresh resolve or fresh wind, as it were, in your sails to face yet another week, all because you have come face to face with your Savior in God's authoritative word, that you have come face to face in a very personal way with the deep, deep love of Jesus. As we explore that deep, deep love of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to draw your attention to to two features of that love. And the first feature is this, and it's found in verse 1, and that is that the love of Jesus is designed. The love of Jesus is designed. And as you're well aware, the Lord Jesus moves one step closer to the cross. As the Apostle John notes in verse 1, if you would read it with me, uh, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus Christ was and is fully God and fully man. And so the Lord Jesus, please recognize that the Lord Jesus knew all that he would face in front of him. He knew everything that the cross would soon entail. He knew that he would be separated from the Father. He knew that within hours that he would bear the weight of sinners on that bloody cross. 
He knew that he would be the final propitiation that the Old Testament described in vivid detail. That is to say, he knew that he was about to absorb the white-hot wrath of God and that he would affirm and demonstrate the love of God for the nations. As we begin to, to measure out the depth of Jesus' love for us, I want to have you see that the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus was designed, of course. Indeed, it was a multifaceted love. There are several things I want you to see about this love and recognize that we will only skim the surface of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe with Jonathan Edwards that we will grow deeper in our appreciation and our love for the Savior unto all eternity. I hope that you can get rid of the, the, the notion in your mind that, that I somehow picked up along the way as a, as a young believer when I was just a child, that there would come a day when I would have it all figured out, that I would fully understand the, the love of Jesus for me. I have since learned that that will never end, that we will grow deeper and deeper and deeper in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ that will go unto all eternity. And so related to that first erroneous thought, if you believe that you'll finally come to the place where you reach the apex of your understanding of the love of the Savior for you, recognize this, because it will, you'll never come to that point, throw away the thought that heaven will be boring. Heaven is going to be a journey into God unto all eternity, where we go deeper in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. We look now with me at this multifaceted love. And in verse 1, I want you to see the first aspect of this multifaceted love, and that is that the love of Jesus was and is an intentional love. It was and is an intentional love. And in verse 1, John speaks of that love, and many of you know the Greek word here for love. It's that word that we know as agape or agapao, a word that literally means to take pleasure in something or to take pleasure in someone. Let me assure you that the agape love that we see emerging in verse 1 is not a love for a thing. It is not a love for an inanimate object. It is a love for the people of God. This is an intentional love. And the Bible says this, Jesus loved his own. That is to say, Jesus set his affection on his own. I want you in your Bible, if you were to, to mark that little word, um, his own. He loved his own. Because the word means this, it means his own property. It means that which is distinctive, someone that the Lord Jesus Christ has in mind in particular. And if that surprises you, it, it really shouldn't because we, we learn this in 1 Peter chapter 2. We learn that the people of God are a chosen race, that they are a royal priesthood, that they are a holy nation, that they are a people for his own possession. Have you ever heard it say, it's my body, I'll do as I please? We hear that a lot in our culture, especially as it surrounds the, the matter of abortion in America. It's my body, I'll do as I please. Listen, you are not your own. 
If you are a Jesus follower, if you are a Christian, you have been bought. You have been purchased. You are, as Peter the Apostle says, his possession. And so it shouldn't surprise us that we see that the love of Jesus that that is designed here, it's designed as an intentional love. Jesus loved his own. This is not a willy-nilly love, you see. This is a love that is specifically designed for Morgan. This is specifically designed for Grace. It's designed for, for Kathy. It's designed for Dave. It's designed with, with a name in mind. This is not some kind of a general love. This is a love with you in mind. The love of Jesus Christ was and is an intentional, you might say, a focused love. Often throughout the Gospels, Jesus refers to Christ's followers as his sheep. His sheep. Some of you have seen the sheep on Everson Goshen Road. I, I love to look at the sheep by the coffee stand out there, right? And usually when I see the sheep, I say the same thing you do. What a group of dumb animals. I mean, they just run around and bump into things, right? They do exactly what their owner tells them not to do. Is it any wonder that Jesus calls you and me sheep? Sheep. We are lost sheep in need of a shepherd. But here's what Jesus says. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I want to ask you this morning, have you heard the voice of your shepherd? Have you heard the voice of your shepherd? My sheep hear my voice. And here's the operative word. I know them and they follow me. That word know is a word that has intimacy attached to it. Jesus does not only know all about you. He really knows you. Now think about this. Think about some of your temptations. Think about some of your nasty thoughts. Pastor, I've never had a nasty thought. Liar! Right? Think about all those things that, that go through all of our minds. Think about your strengths. Think about your weaknesses. Think about your, your proclivities and your inclinations and your hopes and dreams and your fears and all of what makes you, you. Now imagine this. The Bible says very specifically that Jesus loves you with an intentional and a focused love. I want you to also see as we examine the love of Jesus, which is designed that it is not only intentional, but it is an eternal love. Think of it this way. The creator of the universe loved his sheep when? In eternity past. He loved his sheep in eternity past. Ephesians 1 says it like this. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I've talked to a lot of people over the years. 
And I've learned that there are many people, not just in the world, there are many people in the church that do not like this doctrine. That is to say, the doctrine of predestination. I have heard it said something like this. How can God, or more specifically, how can a loving God predestine people and pass over others? And the answer is very simple and plain. And it's found in this verse. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Paul says this in 2 Timothy verse 1 verse chapter 1 verse 9 that he saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus when before the ages began. Think about that. Back to who you are, all your strengths and your weaknesses, all the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Think about that. That in eternity past, God not only loved you, but he gave you grace. This is an eternal love. Amen? And so the love of Jesus is not only intentional and internal, eternal. I want you to see that it is also sacrificial. And we'll see this as, as we continue on in this passage. Once again in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. He says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Apostle Peter picks up on this theme and he says in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. And then he says, For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This, as we will see in great detail in one moment, was a sacrificial love that was designed by Jesus. Finally, I want you to see in verse 1, isn't the word of God rich? I want you to see in verse 1 that Jesus' love is a persevering love. It is a persevering love. John tells us this, if you look at the very last part of verse 1. It says, He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. One writer says it like this, that it's love to the last breath and love in the highest intensity. You see, Jesus loves his sheep. That is, he loves you and me if we are followers of him with a a persevering love. The Bible says he will never walk away from his sheep. The Bible says he will never leave his sheep. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is found in Jesus. Jesus, you see, will, will preserve our faith. He will stand with us until the very end of the age. And so as we look at this designed love of Jesus, recognize it is indeed multi-tensional, or multifaceted rather. It is an intentional love. It is an eternal love. It is a love that is, is sacrificial, and it is, in fact, a persevering love. The rest of the passage, verses 2 to 17, I want to draw your attention to the second feature of the love 
rather the deep, deep love of Jesus. I want you to see the love of Jesus is not only designed. I want you to see that the love of Jesus is also demonstrated. And I want to show you three ways that Jesus Christ demonstrates his love. Before we do that, I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul, through, or the Apostle John, throughout this gospel, has a very unique passion. He wants us to know that Jesus is God in the flesh. We saw that at the very beginning of the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. And so we see in verse 1, Again, John argues, he makes the case through the back door for the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he knew that the hour had come. You see, Jesus knows all things. Jesus has comprehensive foreknowledge of all things. And then what's very interesting, and mark this in the back of your mind, because we will come back to this next week. Next week we will see, I'll give you a little preview. Next week we will see that the Lord Jesus predicts or prophesies that one in the inner circle would betray him. I'm having a hard time not preaching that passage right now. I'm excited about it, if you can't tell. So imagine there you are, you're, you're in the inner circle with the other group of Christ followers, and Jesus drops this bomb. He says, hey dudes, guess what? One of you will betray me. Can you imagine? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be who? Will, will it be me? Can you imagine what the guys are thinking? Well, we can throw all those thoughts away because in next week's passage, we will see that at a certain point, Satan actually enters the heart of Judas Iscariot. And you say, well, then. Judas has, he has no control. He's not making a free choice. Look at John 13, verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, what I want you to see here is Judas didn't need any help from the devil. He already knew what he was going to do. He was going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Verse 2 implies here that Jesus knew all about the heart of Judas Iscariot. There, there was no guesswork with Jesus, as there may have been with the disciples. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, had come from God and was soon to depart. He was to die on a wooden cross. He was to be buried for three days, and on the third day, he would be raised again triumphantly where he is now seated at the right hand of God. Well, now look with me at three ways where Jesus demonstrates his love. First, I want you to see in a very basic, practical way, it was a practical love. Don't you love practical love? Things that are just very basic. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and takes a towel and he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I don't know what you would be thinking. But for me, it would probably be a little weird. I'll tell you why it would be weird. Because in first century Palestine... People, as you know, would, would travel on dusty roads. And they didn't have shoes with closed toes. They had sandals 
or maybe even no sandals at all. And, and so they would be greeted by a, a, a host at a particular location. And that host, the tradition was, is they would make water available to wash the filth off the feet of their guests. And you need to understand that the work of foot washing in first century culture was demeaning work. That's why for me, if I was in that culture, I would think it would be a little bit strange for Jesus to wash my feet. Because in first century culture, this was a demeaning thing. And as a result, this work of foot washing was usually delegated to non-Jewish slaves. It was that bad. You had to be a non-Jew And you had to be a slave and you would wash the feet of these travelers. And so imagine with me the shock of the disciples when Jesus arises from the supper and he ties the towel around his waist. He makes the water ready and he began going from disciple to disciple to disciple, washing their feet, putting his hands on their toes, on their, get ready to get grossed out, uncut toenails. Gross. Am I the only one that thinks that's not a little weird? And so the disciples must have just thought, what is Jesus doing? This this is slave labor. But the, the point is, Jesus' love is a practical love. His love is a practical love. As he, one by one, washes the feet of these disciples whom he loved, including the one who is about to betray him that we'll learn about next week. I want you to see, secondly, that his love was not only practical in nature, it was a proactive love. You see in this story, it is Jesus who takes the initiative. It is Jesus who makes the first step. And in a similar way, it is Jesus who takes the first step when he calls you to himself. It is Jesus who draws you and brings you into the family of God as you are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what theologians refer to as the divine initiative. I'm convinced that many people in our age do not believe in the divine initiative. They do it all on their own, they say. Rather, the word of God is very clear about this. It is God who sovereignly draws his people to themselves. There's a third observation I want you to see. And I struggle with coming up with the, with the correct word here, but all of a sudden the word popped in my mind that, that the love of Jesus is not only proactive, but the love of Jesus is a polite love. It is a, a patient love. It is a tender love. And we know all very well that Jesus was never once selfish. He was always the opposite. He was always selfless. He always kept in mind the interests of others. Philippians 2 tells us about this love. Paul says, do, not, or do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is something that we're just not used to in our culture. We don't see it in the political arena. We don't see it in the religious arena. We don't see it in the business arena. Yet the word of God calls us to be selfless people. And so the love that Jesus demonstrates to his disciples by getting down at their level and washing their feet and doing the work that was ordinarily delegated to a slave, I think would be safe to say is utterly astounding. 
Paul continues in Philippians 2, verse 5. He says, Having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The disciples saw that. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being or becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we see that the love of the Lord Jesus Christ was practical in nature. It was proactive. It was polite. But I want to move further and have you look with me at a love that points to a higher reality. We've seen the, really the, the basics of this love, but I want you to see a love that emerges in this story in, in vivid relief, in great detail, that points to this higher reality. In verses 5 to 11, I want you to see this, without reading these particular verses, that foot washing here was not only an act of love, it was a symbol of cleansing. You see, when the Lord Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, it wasn't merely a a physical act to wipe the, the dirt and the grime and the stink off their feet. Foot washing was a symbol of an inward reality. The word wash comes from a Greek word that in John's mind has really a twofold purpose. First, it's obvious. I've already mentioned it is a word that means wash the stink off your feet. But the second meaning of the word wash has to do with the forgiveness of sins. And that's why you see Peter asking, Lord, clean all of me. Don't stop with the feet, but clean my whole body. Second, I want you to see that foot washing now is very practical for us because it is really a template for Christian behavior. Foot washing is a template for Christian behavior. Let me put this in perspective for you. Here we have the creator of the universe with the disciples. We have the one who who fashioned the stars with the work of his hands. The one who is sovereign over every detail down on his hands and knees, doing the work of a slave, washing the feet of his disciples. This is his posture that he demonstrates to his followers. This is the posture that he continues to demonstrate for his people. This is the posture he demonstrates for you and me. And then Jesus says something remarkable. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Does that sound like good sermon application stuff? Jesus is our example, and now he says, do as I have done for you. And so how can you and I demonstrate the deep, deep love of Jesus? There's a few things I would suggest. One is love people with the heart of a servant. Love people with the heart of a servant. Second is meet the practical needs of people here in our community, not as an end in itself, but so that people will see Jesus and savor Jesus. You see, we don't offer a cup of cold water. We don't offer food. We don't offer financial assistance. We don't do these things as an end in themselves. Rather, we want 
people in our community to see the Savior and savor the Savior. It is not enough to merely see or gaze at the Savior. We are calling people to savor, to delight, to take pleasure in God. And then you double your joy as you demonstrate the deep, deep love of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. And so the love of Jesus for us is clearly designed. It is an intentional love. It is an eternal love. It's sacrificial in nature. It's a persevering love. But Jesus also has demonstrated his love for us. And we've seen that it's a a practical love. It's a proactive love. It's a polite love. And to throw you completely off guard, the truth point I believe in this passage is actually found in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It's an amazing thing when you can take the truth point from one passage, discovered in another passage, and it goes like this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What would be a proper response this morning to the deep, deep, deep love of Jesus? Let me give you three things to consider. One, A proper response would involve a heart of thankfulness, a heart of thankfulness. And so I want you to take just a moment in the quietness of your own heart to to thank God for the salvation that is yours in Christ. I remember it's been many, many years ago. But do you remember when the St. Louis Rams won the Super Bowl and Kurt Warner was the quarterback? He got up to the podium and what did he do? Should our model be, thank you, Jesus? Or do we take it for granted? Do we take the, the, the free grace for granted that is ours in Christ? Second, I want to encourage you with a heart of worship. To have a heart of worship, take time right now in the quietness of your own heart to, to, to worship the living God. The psalmist says it like this, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. That happens now. And that will happen in the future as we all gather on the new earth. And as we inquire in his temple for all eternity, embracing Jesus, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, enjoying Jesus, delighting in Jesus, savoring the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a heart of thankfulness. There's a heart of worship. Finally, there are some practical things in mind we'll close with this and that is hands and feet that are prepared to serve and you're probably thinking i could tell it was coming anytime a passage that involves foot washing it means something something is coming at the end and that is hands and feet prepared to serve ask this what can i do with the gifts that god has given me 
whatever spiritual gifts that God has given me, whatever passions He has given me, whatever special abilities He has given me, how can I use my gifts to the glory of God? Last week I saw something that I've seen many times, and it, and it struck me. It struck me, and I didn't get Les's permission for this, but Les is so good to, to mow the lawn over here at the church rental. So here's a guy who takes his time, bakes out in the hot sun, and up and down and up and down and up and down, using his gifts and his passions and his abilities to glorify the living God. And you might be tempted to say, it's, that's, that's lawn mowing. Yes, it is. Someone needs to mow the lawn. Les, thank you for having such a heart of a servant. As long as I'm at it, Les does something else that most of you probably are not aware of. Whenever we need a new light bulb in one of those really tall, what are they called? Lamps? I saw it happen. He shimmies up the ladder. I climb two steps on the ladder and pass out. <laughs> Les is up. I can't even look at it. So, Les, thank you for using your gifts to change those much-needed light bulbs. Here's the point of today's message. What are your hands involved in doing? What are your feet engaged in doing? What is it that you're doing to the glory of God at Christ Fellowship? And some of you are thinking exactly this. I never claim to be a mind reader, but I know some of you are thinking this. I'm not doing anything. Today's the day for mobilization. And to encourage that mobilization, I want to uh, invite a couple of my good friends up. And have uh, the Millers come on up here. Sam and April introduce them to you. And uh, there we are. I hope the mic's on. Check. Great. Sam. This is Sam Miller and his wife, April. And uh, I thought it would be a really cool thing to bring them up and not only introduce them to you if you have not had the chance to meet them, but to also introduce them as uh, the co-chairs of the Outreach Ministry Action Team. So I have a couple of questions, and, uh, and I hope this will be encouraging uh, for you and also motivate you to get involved. So let's start with Sam. What was it that caused you and April to initially get involved with this whole outreach business god chose us um i mean this is something that we've had a heart for for a long time ever since we've been married we've been involved in some type of outreach and whether it was this church or previous churches and uh i would say as you're talking about with the spiritual gifts the good thing about outreach is i think it has it's multifaceted there's a ton of spiritual gifts that you can use within the outreach ministry um my personal ones i believe are discernment teaching leadership um faith and uh we were talking about it the other night ironically we don't neither of us feel like we have the spiritual gift of evangelism which would probably be one of the top on outreach but such as Kyle, yes. Yeah, He's yeah. got the, and that's the beauty of outreach. It's for everybody because yeah. there's a niche for someone in each one. Uh, that's great. April, what would you say the purpose of the outreach, Matt, is at this point? Um, we feel like the purpose of outreach is to create and coordinate 
opportunities for Christ followers to share the gospel with our community, um, whether it's through events held here at Christ Fellowship or events that are already going on in the community. Good deal. And kind of give us an update. What's happened over the last several months? What what has the outreach, Matt, had a chance to do formally and informally? Um, Well, formally, we started off with the fall kickoff barbecue and, and then Noah night and the Thanksgiving banquet and then the gym nights. Um, right now we're doing the softball thing. So we've, we have some non Christ followers on the softball team and come in contact with a lot of people who are not Christ followers, um, currently through that. And yeah. Is there any truth to the notion I'm sure people have thought this to the notion that the softball team is really designed to be an outreach to the pastor because it seems like every time I hit the baseball field, I get injured. (laughs) Humility, that's right, that's right. Talk talk a little bit about uh, plans for the future, what what some of your dreams are. Um, I would say that we understand this this church is great at serving the Lord, I believe. This is probably more of a talk for those who want to get plugged in to outreach we definitely could use a lot more help in outreach i don't think anybody here could say that they couldn't do something to um, dive in and do something with outreach the beauty of it's it can be frustrating at times but then you got to look okay if you do an activity that's serving the community and it reaches one person to the lord or you can witness to one person i think it's worth it um, that's kind of how we felt with like our gym nights. We had a ton of people from the church family coming to the gym nights, but it seemed like every week there'd be somebody new who wasn't from our church family. So I would say getting people involved and would this be a good time to? Uh... Yeah, I was, I was going to say, um, first, first of all, I want you to know, and I think probably most of you know this, who you're looking at up here, they'll probably get mad at me for saying this. You're looking at two faithful people. I mean, I don't know how many times, whether it's uh, Steve Nims or Carmel or someone in the elder council, something will come up and say, well, what are we going to do about this, that, or the other? Well, the Millers, they'd love to do that. And, and they usually do. It's an amazing thing. So I, I have a bit of a, of a heavy heart this morning. I'm, I'm excited, but also uh, brokenhearted because Sam, Sam wants to share some, some news uh, about their future plans that will impact every one of you. So, Sam, take it away. Um, well, as most of you, know, well, a lot of you know, we were in Spokane pretty much prior to this for the last 10, 11 years before I got into the Border Patrol and was down south and came up here. And it's kind of always been on our heart that we would end up over there, and my parents are over there, and some of her family. And we knew if the door opened, it would be something that we would look into. Honestly, I didn't think it would open up for 15 years into the Border Patrol. But all of a sudden, an opportunity came, and God blessed us with being able to uh, basically transfer over to Colville, uh, Washington, um, at that station, work over there. So we're going to be heading over there this summer. Um, and, yes, we're the same way. Heavy-hearted because we love our church family. We love everyone we've met around here. We're going to visit plenty, and we're going to hopefully get a big enough house to where everyone who wants to visit can visit us also. 
So the millers are going to leave some gigantic, uh, two gigantic holes. And guess what? That means someone needs to help. Probably a lot of people it will take to, to fill these holes. So how can people get involved in the next couple of months? Well, I also want to mention that our right-hand man, Kyle, and his yeah. wife, Kathy, they've been helping us a lot. And as we all know there, there's a good chance that within a year or two, they are also going to be leaving. So, um, yeah, we just need a lot of help in all of April. Expand on that. Uh, I think probably the biggest thing would be um, if anyone has a heart for outreach to contact us and get in on some planning going forward. I mean, I my, I have this. I have big. I have big dreams for this ministry, and one of the things that's been hard for me is um, with this whole thing of moving. Is well, my work here is not done. Well, guess what? It's not my work. It's God's work, and He will use someone here to com- to keep to keep doing it. Um, so we we have had the thought of having monthly game nights. Um, maybe not necessarily in the gym, but. Um, just or movie nights or summer hot dog feeds or again the fall kickoff barbecue and Noah night and Thanksgiving banquet these things that we do on a regular basis and so if anyone feels like you know they have a spiritual gift and they have a passion for trying to serve the community um, just get in contact with us and we've tried to make it really easy there's a little flyer in the in the bulletin so if you want to take a look at that and pray about it and think in what ways you might be able to help out, let us know. And I'd encourage you to actually utilize that tool. It's a terrific tool with different opportunities of ways that you can not only serve on the outreach ministry action team, but can also get involved in other other ways of ministry that are not, not even associated with that particular ministry action team. Here's the bottom line is we, we want to share the deep, deep love of Jesus, not only here on campus, but around our community and also to the nations. We want to see the nations find their joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with a word of prayer and also have the worship team come and they'll lead us in a special time where we observe the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, Sam and April. Thank you that um, they have um, used their spiritual gifts uh, well. They have exercised their spiritual gifts faithfully. They have inspired many here in our church family. And they have shown uh, the love of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in in multiple ways. And so we thank you for them. We are going to be so um, sorry to see them go, but we are also excited for them. A new chapter in their lives, a new church family, new friends, a new house, new surroundings. And so um, while we'll have a chance to um, celebrate more with them as we come closer to that day, we just want to commit them to to you now as a church family, that your blessing would rest upon them, uh, that you would encourage them and strengthen them, and that also you would raise up uh, more people to serve in this very important role, to serve on the ministry, uh, the outreach ministry action team, so that people would find their joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. We commit this to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much.